Welcome back to Living Richer. You're listening to episode number 14. And as always, I'm your host, Mark Shemkovitz. My guess is when most people think about insurance, they think about it in terms of risk management. And that's really what the majority of insurance that people take out is designed to do. You get car insurance in case you get in an accident. You might get critical illness insurance, disability, or life insurance for those risks. What most people don't know is that insurance, if you use it strategically, can be used in a lot more creative ways. In today's episode, and this is the final one in a three-part mini-series on insurance with our estate planning specialist, Greg Gismajan, we do a deeper dive on some of the strategies that you're probably not aware of. We look at how insurance can be used not only for estate planning, but income generation and tax minimization. If you're a business owner or a professional, like a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, you'll really find this interesting because we look at how to get money out of holding companies in a tax-effective way. Greg calls one strategy alchemy, but instead of turning lead into gold, we look at how to turn taxable dividends from your holding company into tax-free dividends. And now be sure to listen to the end where Greg talks about one strategy that can divert money that would otherwise go to CRA and instead direct it to your favorite charity. Reducing taxes and doing good for society, hey, for me, that's utilizing insurance in the best possible way. And without any further ado, cue the music. Welcome to Living Richer with Mark Shimkovitz, Vice President at Raymond James Private Client Group, one of Canada's largest independent investment firms. In this podcast, he'll share with you the things you need to know and things you need to do to build a smart financial plan. Follow along with Mark and learn how to invest wisely, avoid financial mistakes, and navigate life's curveballs without fear. Now, let's get started. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Uh, so glad to have you back in our third part of our mini series on life insurance. Great to be back, Mark. So in the, in the last episode, we took a look at sort of the mid-career established um, age group, and, and those are sort of the 40 to 60-year-olds. And today, what we want to do is take a look at sort of that next group, the 60-plus. The um, and here, we want to maybe look at how insurance can play a role in terms of you know, retirement cash flow for people, that's maybe one of their main priorities in retirement is, is generating income and how insurance fits in with that. Um, it's also an estate preservation stage in people's lives. Um, and I want to make sure that we touch on both of those categories that we looked at in the last episode, people with no corporations. So that's the vast majority of us. Uh, but also professionals um, and business owners who have holding companies or professional corporations. Uh, so why don't we just start off by looking at probably the main question I think that a lot of people have is, is it too late to get life insurance? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. And I, I do get that often. Um, and I, I just want to say that, uh, you know, even though we've compartmentalized these three segments as though people sort of are in one bucket or the other. Yeah. But life, life is a moving, evolving thing. So you could have a pre-retirement at, uh, at 50. Right. Uh, so not necessarily at the magical 60 or 65. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, people think that suddenly when you get past, uh, you know, I've had clients call me, you know, tomorrow I'm turning 55. Uh, it's going to get really expensive for me, right? 
and <laughs> there's no such thing as that. It doesn't uh, it doesn't change overnight that way. Um, and in fact, the varying change in cost of insurance is probably incremental by three or four percent from from age to age. So it's mm-hmm. not like there's a magic age, but there is a point at which no insurer will insure people because uh, the risk becomes so high that the premium they would have to charge just outweighs the benefits. And that would be right. somewhere in your age 80 category. So mm-hmm. we, can, we can do upwards of 80, even up to 85, especially what we call a, a joint last policy where we combine two individuals. So traditionally a, a husband or wife or uh, partners, two partners together, uh, it would drive back the equivalent age, if you will, by almost 10 years. So we can, we can actually make them younger, if you will. The, the equivalent age of the younger person or? Uh, uh, well, the equivalent, equivalent age of the combined risk. The combined okay? so risk. If, right. So if, if, they're, if the insurer is obligated to pay out when the second of the two of them pass away, mm-hmm. well, then perhaps a 79-year-old male would have the same life expectancy as two 85-year-olds. Okay. Right. That's the equivalency. Yeah, I mean, I remember a statistic, and I might have my numbers off a little bit, but um, the out of 50% of all couples at age 65, I believe it was, will have at least one of them live to age 90. Right. Um, So I think that that's relevant when insurance companies are looking at uh, couples. They know that there's that extra potential for longevity. They have enough years uh, in which they expect to collect enough premiums to be able to afford to pay back the the benefit. And therefore you have lower costs. On on average, on average, obviously. I mean, people could die on their flight to Fiji at age 40, uh, let alone age 80, right? I was kind of thinking of going to Fiji. (laughs) Maybe I won't now. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, um, I, I love to digress. That's so okay. it, it's, it's not necessarily ever too late to get life insurance. Yeah, I am, uh, practically, uh, you know, you might be looking at the, the cost of the premiums Aside, right. escalating, obviously, naturally, as, as one ages. But I, I did a segment on this a while ago, uh, uh, I think you heard as well. And I, there's a notion here of uh, internal rate of return that perhaps mm. we should just touch on, okay. uh, which is relevant to this point. And, and uh, that's my dog in the background. I don't know if you can hear him, <laughs> the guard dog. Um, regardless of what age you enter an insurance contract, and I'm, we're, we're talking at this point uh, specifically of uh, permanent insurance policies. Yep. So if you buy a policy at age 25 or at age 80 uh, or 75, um, first of all, the premium will be very different, obviously. Right. But if you, if you measure the internal rate of return, that is how much money you put in and how much money came out ultimately mm-hmm. uh, for both of these scenarios at maturity, at life expectancy. So let's call it age 90 for argument's sake. If you measure at age 90, regardless of which one you look at, the internal rate of return will be approximately three and a half to four percent. Okay. What that means is you, and that's an after tax number, by the way. After tax, so, very important point. Okay, so what that means is that for uh, for the dollars you put in, so the young person at much lower premiums that paid for a much longer period, mm-hmm. compounded at a certain rate of return, would have accumulated to this amount, and it, they would have had to have had 
a pre-tax rate of uh, probably around 8% because to get four, you have right. to have four. It, it, assuming in the highest depending, tax bracket. Yeah. yeah, depending on their tax bracket. And, and likewise, for the person who's much older, make, making much higher premiums, but for a much shorter period of time, would also have to have earned roughly 8% pre-tax in order to end up with the same end result. That's a pretty so, high rate of return. It is. And it's not, it's not because I love insurance companies and they're doing such a wonderful job of investing or it has nothing to do. Well, it has some to do with that, but it's predominantly due to the tax treatment of life insurance in Canada. Mm-hmm. Our government still favors life insurance for the consumer. It's not for the benefit of the insurance company. But for the consumer, what they say is if you're willing to forego some of your assets today to take care of your family, we will give a tax break to the insurance company that's managing your money, managing your premiums over all those years. Right. So that when they pay that back, they can pay it back with tax free money. And that's the the, the primary reason why this formula works. Well, that's that's very interesting. Sticking with. And, and I said, we want to take a look at both people with corporations and non-corporations, but for now, sticking with people who, like most of us, don't have a corporation, um, there are a number of estate planning issues that someone might have in, in this age group. And one of them being people often will have a cottage. And if they've had that cottage in their family for a very long period of time, uh, they paid a lot less than they would for a cottage today. But because it's a secondary property, any gains would be taxable as capital right. gains. And, and, uh, and, and how can insurance help deal with not just cottage using that as an example, but any sort of uh, end of life tax uh, consequences. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, let's stick with the cottage uh, example, because I think that people can get their heads around it, whether or not they have one in their family. But, you know, if you've held a cottage for 30, 40 years within the family, and there's a lot of attachment to it, and, uh, and there's a, an intention to retain that and maintain that within the family, even though there's, you know, three or four siblings that are going to have to share it in the future, um, you know, parents uh, are concerned to make sure that that stays in the family and the ch- their children often are not in a financial position to be able to take on uh, the, the, the tax obligations on this property, let alone the maintenance and all the other things that are associated with upkeep of, of a property like that, uh, whether it's Muskoka or wherever it might be. First of all, funding that eventual tax obligation. So if, if it has a cost base of a $100,000 40 years ago and it's now worth $3 million, which is not far off of many of the numbers we've seen. Right. Um, well, that that could position uh, a tax bill of somewhere around the seven hundred seven hundred fifty thousand dollar range uh, for for three siblings who themselves are already in you know uh, right. <laughs> up to, up to, their neck up in, to in, here up in, to here with mortgages and and financing their kids at universities and whatever stage they are in their life uh, to take on another quarter million each. Uh, to take on the property, let alone the other expenses I just described. And that's due be... right away, that quarter million dollars. Yeah. CRA is going to you know, knock on the door and say, okay, we want our, we want our cash. Uh, so liquidity is really critical at this point. And on an ongoing basis, a lot of these clients, what they want to do is actually set up a, uh, a trust account that actually m- handles the upkeep of the cottage. 
I mean, I'm getting to a very specific solution around cottages, but it's, yeah. it, I think this is a very practical thing our listeners might might value. Uh, and that way they can have a combined uh, hub and not leave it to the kids to have to haggle, you know, who did the shingles last year? Who's going to have to do the front yard this year? Mm-hmm. Who's going to replace the uh, appliances or whatever other upkeep costs occur? So parents of uh, that, that have this kind of wealth and this kind of asset might set up an insurance policy on a joint last policy basis. So insuring right. the two together, like we were talking about earlier, drives down the age and drives down the cost mm-hmm. uh, to ensure that the liquidity, the cash is available immediately to not only finance that $750,000 tax bill, but also finance a trust account that, that perhaps has another couple hundred thousand dollars to tear of the owings and keep of this this cottage. Uh, it's not to say that the kids aren't going to go in and paint and do whatever needs to be done, yeah. but at least there's this common pool from which mom and dad have taken care of all this future stuff. Right. And, and, this, and yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think cottages are uh, very near and dear to many people's hearts. Uh, you know, I, I, I unfortunately never had a cottage growing up, but a, a lot of people who did could not imagine not having their own kids and grandkids enjoy that summer lifestyle that they had um, growing up. And and so having a strategy in place that can allow the next or future generations to do that is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And and the same, the same issue exists, whether you have a cottage or not, you know, if you've got any amount of wealth in, in this latter part of life, um, and you, you come to the realization that, you know, you're, you're not going to spend everything, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what you do. And many of our clients, as you know, uh, we have to push them to spend more. Uh, they just simply have been so accustomed to saving, saving, saving that they right. don't know how to actually turn, turn the switch. Enjoy. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, knowing that that's the case and knowing that there are going to be ultimate, uh, you know, RSPs are going to be uh, realized as, as income in the year of death, whatever remaining riff there is. Uh, unrealized capital gains in cottages or other properties that they might own. If they're a business owner, uh, ultimately uh, those shares are going to come into fruition. And, you know, there's final taxes to be paid. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to have anyone in your your administration team, your, your executor, should yeah. not be in a position where they're forced to put a for sale sign on your right. on your home or your cottage immediately in order to deal with CRA. Just because it wasn't it, planned for. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's actually a good point. So that's on the estate planning side of things. But insurance can also play a role for people in retirement in terms of income generation. Well, there's, there's a number of ways that, that it can uh, help with retirement income cash flow. Uh, one of the segments has to do with what we talked about last uh, series, uh, yeah. where we were talking about permanent insurance yep. being purchased in your 40s to 60s. So if you're one of those people who, who did that, uh, and in your, you're now in your 60s or 70s, um, and you want to draw income, you can pledge that policy and, and get access to the cash value of the policy in the form of a loan. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's virtually a, a line of credit that you set up with, with the bank, uh, and you draw on that as, as you need to, uh, to supplement your income needs at that point. Okay. Um, and ultimately, uh, upon passing, uh, any outstanding debt would be paid by the death benefit of life insurance and right. the residue of that would, would end up in the hands of your beneficiaries ultimately. Okay. So that's one way. Mm-hmm. Another one um, I, I want to suggest to you is, uh, and it's something that my wife and I actually did uh, a few years back. 
Um, so we purchased a joint last policy, not so much for the cash value in this case. It's a pretty much a stripped down universal life policy, minimal cash value, uh, but we've got minimum premiums, uh, $200 a month, I'll tell you, for a half That's million dollars of coverage. Pretty cheap. Yeah, it's cheap. Once we got it, you know, when we were younger. And I figured by doing that, I'm pre-positioning myself so that when I'm at the point where I want to generate income from my pool, uh, I can take a million dollars of my RRSP pool. And I say a million because the net amount to my daughter after tax on a million dollars will be half a million, right? So I, I take a million dollars of my uh, RRSP pool and buy a joint last annuity for my mm -hmm. wife and I. Annuity, okay. Okay, and, that, and, and I may never do this, by the way, but I have the option to do it. Right. Okay, so that $200 a month gives me the option to do this. And just to give you the, the dynamics of this, uh, at about 70 or 71, if you were to buy a joint last um, million dollar RSB annuity, mm -hmm. you would receive approximately $60,000 a year income from that. Okay. Guaranteed for life for as long as either one of you live. $60,000 a year for life on a $1 million policy. Right. Annu annuity. Okay. On an annuity. Now, you know, that's 6% back on, on your deposit mm -hmm. uh, and consider you're giving up your capital. Right. right. Big uh, point. Yep. I would, I would not do that if I didn't have the insurance in place because mm -hmm. I don't like the idea of losing my capital. Right. I don't think anybody likes that. But by having the insurance in place, I'm giving myself the, the comfort uh, and the permission to say, you know what, I'm going to do this, knowing that there's a possibility that my wife and I, back to the Fiji flight, uh, we're, we're on the flight. I'm really never going to Fiji, am I? <laughs> Poor Fiji. Actually, I'm looking forward to Fiji one day, um, wherever it might be. We're yeah. on that flight and, and we have, you know, we, we keep going upwards rather than landing <laughs> gotcha. um and, and and therefore you know i we know we never really materially benefit from this million dollar investment we just did in an annuity because right. we didn't have it for long enough to get our our capital back right. uh well that's okay because i've got the insurance in place so so to the extent that it may have application for those in their retirement or pre-retirement years i think permanent insurance liberates us as retiring individuals to make life decisions on cash flow and on what we use on, mm. it gives us permission to access capital and, and because we're all, as parents, we're all concerned about keeping it for the kids. Right. right. Uh, and that's good. That's natural. We want the, them to be better off, but if we give ourselves the permission to use what we've saved up, knowing right. that we've taken care of our kids through mm -hmm. a different vehicle, we may have much more access to our own capital. Right. I'm not creating new capital. I'm just saying we become more, it's more psychological, I guess, what I'm talking about, feeling freed up to, to utilize the assets that we have. Right. And well, then and I think that that's kind of that balancing thing. I said, we talked about estate planning. Let's talk about uh, income generation. I think both of those things are important to people as we age. We, we want to think about how am I going to pass things along, but how am I going to uh, fund that trip to, Hawaii or somewhere yes. else. <laughs> I'm not going yeah. to Fiji. <laughs> I'd like that though. Um, okay, well, that's great. So th that that's um, th that's sort of the 
dealing with people who don't have a corporation. And as I said at, at the beginning, I want to also talk about people who do have a corporation. And uh, the, we, we discussed in the previous episode about some of the benefits of owning life insurance in a corporation. What about getting money out of a holding company using insurance? Well, it's not too dissimilar to what we just described, except there's an additional layer of tax treatment that we have to consider. Okay. And, and this too, we, we touched on last segment, but uh, for, for those viewers that perhaps didn't see that, uh, it's, it's important to, to, to notice that when you have life insurance held inside a corporation, so whether you had a, a restaurant business that you sold off and now your money is sitting in a holding company or you're a professional and perhaps you're no longer practicing and you have this holding company as a result uh, or whatever corporate environment in which you, you may have uh, a highly valued insurance instrument, um, uh, that, that money ultimately uh, flows out of the corporation. Uh, during life, it's one way. At a, upon passing, it's another way. Mm -hmm. So during lifetime, you would borrow against the policy as the corporation, uh, and then the corporation then would be able to dividend out uh, that money to you personally. So there's a layer of additional tax to be paid as, as personal dividends that, as, that you receive. Right. Upon passing, it's a different story. Um, and, and at that point, uh, virtually all of the money would, uh, again, the, the, all of the money is paid to the corporation tax-free mm -hmm. as a death benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, but as it flows out of the corporation, we talked about the CDA account last capital time, the capital account. dividend account. Yep. So the capital dividend account is a notional account that allows for these these tax-free dividends to be declared out of the corporation to the, the subsequent shareholders. So the next shareholders might be your children or your mm -hmm. estate or whoever the subsequent shareholder is, they would be in a position to declare a tax-free dividend to the extent of that credit. And that way draw out uh, most, if not all of the value out of this, out of the insurance uh, claim on a tax-free dividend. And I, I, I consider this a little bit of alchemy. Uh, I've written a little piece on this and, and those, you know, the viewers, if they reach out to you, I'm sure we can read, we can share it with them. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great piece, by the way. Uh, Thank I you. Was, was yeah, I'm glad you've, you've, uh, you've taken a look at it. The, the um, you know, I, I call it alchemy because, you know, as, as you know, historically alchemy was the idea of turning uh, uh, very ordinary uh, metals into, into gold. Right. Um, well, if we can convert what is otherwise a taxable dividend into tax-free dividends, I would think that that's a little bit of magic or al alchemy, if you will. Well, I think right. anybody who says, wait, what? You, you can turn something that's taxable into something that's non-taxable? Tell me more. Precisely. And, and uh, that's the, the exact treatment of what life insurance does to assets that are inside a corporation. They take what otherwise would have come out as a taxable dividend. They convert it into an insurance benefit ultimately payable upon passing. Mm -hmm. And that gets credited to the CDA, which enables the subsequent owner to declare a tax-free dividend. So we went a roundabout way of doing it, but we went from taxable dividends to tax-free dividends flowing out uh, using a life insurance instrument. Right. Um, how does that affect probate? A lot of people wonder about that um, because... You know, we, we know that if I have an insurance policy, 
I have a named beneficiary. I'm talking about an insurance policy that I own directly outside of a corporation. I've got a named beneficiary, it goes directly to that named beneficiary, no tax, no uh, probate or anything like that. Does it work the same way with a corporation? Right. So because you're not able to name uh, a direct beneficiary, you must you must name the corporation as the beneficiary if it's okay. the owner of the contract. Uh, you do not get that probate planning opportunity by naming a, a named beneficiary. Mm-hmm. However, uh, as is our usual advice to any uh, corporate owner that has assets in a corporation, insurance or otherwise, I mean, if you've got a million dollars or more in a, in a holding company, in an operating company, in any kind of corporate environment, we would recommend a second will. So a dual will of structure where you you effectively have one will that addresses your home, your personal assets, mm-hmm. and a second will that's written concurrently that's that speak to one another. Um, you know, a lawyer will explain this much better than I will, but but effectively they're they're written mirroring each other at the same time. But one handles the personal stuff, and the other one handles uh, your uh, private shares, and that will not have to be probated because your children, for example, are not going to ask. For, for a probated will for them to receive the shares of the, the corporation. Right. Uh, and if, if the bank over here uh, requires uh, a probated will because you've got $20,000 in, in an account with them uh, and draws the whole million dollar estate into a probate because of that, uh, that's not going to affect this one. State separate. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was philanthropy. Uh, again, yeah. as, as people age um, and they're looking at their estate plan everything's taken care of they're looking at their income generation plan it's all looking good Uh, I want to make sure I want to leave something behind how can insurance uh, work that way for them yeah there's there's some tremendous applications of of philanthropy and you know philanthropy itself gives you the impression that you've got to be uh, uh, Bill Gates uh, to, to engage in that conversation. But, you know, as Canadians, we're, we're very charitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's known worldwide that we really do give a, a great deal financially and, and of our own time and, and effort. Um, and it doesn't have to be big uh, amounts. Very small amounts can make a huge difference for some of the everyday uh, charities that we're, we're all involved in. So using life insurance uh, in various ways can enhance that heart objective of helping the very charities that we're already helping with. Um, so don't, don't think of it as necessarily that big, huge bonkin policy that you're going to brand new buy, uh, although there are techniques and methods of, of using life insurance that way. But it could be a, an, an existing policy that you already have that you no longer have a need for, perhaps uh, the, the kids are grown, the mortgage is paid off, uh, you have far more wealth than you ever thought. Uh, so you're not even concerned about some of the things that you, you thought of 20 years ago. And, and the value of this insurance to you is no longer that important. You could actually transfer this to a, to a charity and get a tax break for that transfer today. Sorry, say that again. So I've got an insurance policy and, yeah. and it can be permanent can it also be a term policy? It could be a term policy too. Okay. So and there, there's a charity that's near and dear to my heart. And I've, as you say, gone through that full analysis. And, and, and this really doesn't need to uh, factor into my estate plan. Yeah. I, I can designate a charity. Um, do I sign it over to them? How, how, does, how does all of that work? 
Right. Well, there's there's a few ways you can do that. So if you just simply change the name of the beneficiary on the policy, there is no tax consequence at that point. You're just simply changing a, a name beneficiary. That's one. Uh, and the tax benefit only occurs then when when you pass away and the charity receives the money, your estate will receive a tax receipt. So that that certainly is a, a planning strategy for some people who want to, for example, mitigate uh, some of the taxes oh. on the cottage. Okay, this this is one way of dealing with the cottage tax too. You leave uh, the insurance, you designate the, the the charity as a beneficiary, and right. your estate gets a tax receipt. Very interesting. Okay, for the whole amount of the benefit that was paid at that point. Wow. Or uh, if you really need the tax break today, what you can do is take that policy and and gift it to the charity. Okay. Um, and depending on your age and the amount of the insurance and you know the various factors, uh, an outside actuary would actually have to evaluate the value of this policy. Uh, but it might be worth uh, thirty or forty percent of its face amount today. So if you've got a million dollar policy, you might get a tax receipt for three hundred thousand dollars, for example for the gift that you handed over today, you may not, you know, you, you know, this may not be paid out for another 20, 30 years to the charity, mm -hmm. but effectively you've given them something of value and the present value of that future benefit is, is effectively the, the tax receipt you get. And back to your term question, uh, you might say, well, what's the value of a term policy? Well, uh, an, uh, a charity might uh, want to take that term insurance policy on your life and convert it to a permanent, permanent policy. Let's say you're 60 years old and you're not necessarily in your best of health. Okay. If you've got an insurance policy for a million dollars on your life, well, you know what? The, the right to change that to a permanent policy priced at a 60-year-old healthy individual has an inherent value. If someone because is willing, the because the cost is going to be low, um, lower than what you what you should pay for your given based on your current health. health, right? Right. So an actuary would calculate what that differential is, and that would be uh, a receivable amount that uh, that you would receive, and and uh, and you may not have kept this policy because you you know it was going to get more expensive in the future anyway, but in, in this way you get some value out of it from a tax perspective, and your charity now has the option to convert that into a policy that that will ultimately pay them. I'll tell you something. In all the years that I've been doing insurance, I wasn't really aware. I wasn't aware at all uh, of that being a strategy, and and I think that. To the point, you know, even though I've been in the industry for a long time, uh, there's a lot of things that people may not be aware of. And, um, and, and well, I was, I was thinking if we want to wrap it up, but uh, I want to make sure, first of all, if there was anything else that you wanted to make sure that we cover in terms of uh, individuals later in life, either um, Owning I, and having I think, insurance. I think the only the only thing I'll raise here, uh, since since I've always jumped in at the end with something, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, you've here. been pretty good at that, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, one more thing. Yeah, one more thing. I feel I feel like a Columbo, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Turn around. Yeah. That's that's a reference for all those at sixty plus. So they'll, they'll know what we're talking about. That's right. <laughs> Just one more thing. That's right. So. You know, the, the most common question or, or uh, challenge I get, I would say, from this camp of individuals, because they, they typically have done all they can for their kids already. They've financed their education. They've, they've set them up in their first homes, probably. Uh, and they're going to leave 
oodles of dollars to them anyway. We know right. that. Right. Uh, and they turn around and say, we've done everything already. They don't need any more. Why should we buy more insurance? You know, let them deal with the tax. You know, our assets are big enough. You know, these kinds of comments are very right. common. And you know what? They're absolutely correct. I won't challenge them on, on their premise and on their um, position. But I would suggest to them, and I do to our listeners, that, you know, if you have the ability to divert money that otherwise would go to uh, the, the CRA mm-hmm. and be able to, to redirect it to who you care about, and that who you care about may be the philanthropy, okay? Right. It may be the charity, it, or it may be your children or your grandchildren. I, I, you make that decision. But if you have the ability to direct your assets in a way that you can control how they better the society in the future, mm. yeah. you know, which hospital is going to get your funding, not decided by your tax dollars, but by your own will, um, that's really the effective use of insurance uh, at this stage in life. It's not about necessarily someone needing your money or needing your help when you're gone, but you having control over where that money goes, to whom it goes, and in what way it's used. That's really I love that. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like that because um, it's sort of, you know, people think insurance, it's about coming to the end of life, uh, but coming to the end of life on your terms and doing the best you possibly can with what you've done. And, and sometimes, you know, there may be additional incremental costs in keeping that, uh, whether it's a policy uh, alive, the, the outsized benefit that's going to go to your kids or to some charity um, really can't be ignored. Uh, Let me ask you a question in relation to this. Oh no! Now do I'm you, being. Do you have? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> do you have any clients in their late seventies? Yep. Who have more money than they can possibly spend? Yes. But they're still pressing you to make sure that you get seven, eight percent rate of return. Yes. It, okay. it. I think. I think for a lot of people, um, as you said, in terms of you know saving and not spending, looking at rates of return. Uh, those old habits are hard to shake. So the answer is yes. Okay. So if they don't need it, why are they so eager to make sure that they continue to have good rates of return? I, I think that there's a psychological thing uh, associated with that. And, and a responsibility to do the right thing with right. the resources that you have. Th- th- that's what, yeah, absolutely. And, and in my opinion, insurance is just an instrument. It's another tool. It's no different than a stock or a bond or a real estate purchase. It's just another financial instrument that helps us do the right thing for the people and the organizations that we care about. Um, I I think that 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 is a really great spot to wrap things up. We we covered a lot in this series. Uh, The first episode where we dealt with people just sort of starting out the the 25 to 40 year um, age bracket, and then the 40 to 60s, and now people in retirement. And we covered a lot of different uh, topics. And, you know, for I think a lot of the listeners, they could certainly relate to one area or another. But uh, looking at how insurance plays a role and continues to play a role and evolves from um, a risk management 
to, um, you know, estate and income generation, philanthropy. There's so many different ways uh, that it can play an effective role. We, we talked a little bit about uh, guaranteed rates of return, which I think most people aren't aware of. The tax benefits can be enormous. And um, I think for any of the listeners, if there are questions, if, if you want to understand or better understand how these various uh, insurance vehicles can play a role. I, I mean, I, I, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm sure you're more than happy to provide people with a complimentary review. I'm throwing you out there. Oh, no, ab- absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the world we're in. And that's, uh, we're happy to advise on their existing portfolios and any recommendations on anything they may be looking for. Yeah, because as I said, I mean, as you pointed out, or as I pointed out just a minute ago, there's a lot of things that I learned uh, from this series that, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people say, wow, that's that's incredible. So uh, we will leave that open. And if any of our listeners would like to have, um, you know, a complimentary discussion with uh, Greg and myself, and we can take a look at, you know, doing that needs analysis, uh, trying to understand what your goals are and, and provide you with some insight, because I, I think that it is something that a lot of times gets ignored. People think about, you know, car insurance or life insurance sort of in that same vein. Uh, but it, it goes so far beyond that. Any last words? I think I've, I've uh, <laughs> spent all my last words already. Okay, Thank well, you. listen, Thanks, uh, Greg, so much for this series. It was fantastic. Thanks to all of our listeners. And, um, you know, we, we really appreciate all of your listener, all of our listeners. And as I said, if you do have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can contact me through our website, livingricherwealth.com. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe and share this with friends. We, we definitely want to get the word out there. So, uh, so thanks again, and I will see you all next time on Living Richer. Information in this podcast is from sources believed to be reliable. However, we cannot represent that it is accurate or complete. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. The views are those of Mark Chinkovitz and not necessarily those of Raymond James Limited. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investment circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Club. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Club.